Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, time now for our mailbag segment of the week, one of the favorites on our show. Let's get started with this, Steve Versnick. Well, we'll start with uh, Jeff, who had tweeted us. He says, will the NFL immediately follow the new CDC guidelines of a five-day quarantine if you're asymptomatic from COVID? Well, as we do this podcast, this is uh, the morning on uh, Tuesday uh, for today's podcast. And and so at this point, um, there's not been a formal announcement. But yes, I think the NFL has pretty uh, vigorously followed the CDC recommendations when they can. Um, they've kind of instituted what's been a 10-day quarantine uh, you know, for players who test positive unless you're able to have two negative tests with 24 hours in between uh, and be asymptomatic. So uh, more often than not, uh, players have gone the 10 days for whatever reason, um, even those that, have, that we think are vaccinated. Um, certainly, if you're unvaccinated, it's a mandatory 10 days that you that you have to be out. Um, but I do think that uh, this this will be uh, welcomed by not just the NFL, but a lot of sports leagues that, uh, you know, we just had a case of Brashard Perryman, depending on when the test, you know, comes back. If it's midweek, you could potentially miss two games as he did. He was unable, unable to come back because the 10 days actually carried over two different games. So, uh, it was a Monday night game against the Saints, and he was unable to play on Sunday, um, you know, this past Sunday at Carolina. So, yes, I, I do believe that uh, there will, this this will certainly speed up the time uh, for players to return. Um, they're talking about um, other things with the NFLPA in terms of uh, whether you test at all uh, a player who is, who is vaccinated. Um, right now it's once a week. Um, do you change that to no times a week unless they're symptomatic? Um, so there's all kinds of discussions going on. It's it's really problematic if you watch the game Monday night. I mean, that was not a competitive football game. It was not an NFL product, quite frankly. Um, you know, Ian Book, I mean, he's not ready to play quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, particularly when most of his offensive line or a good portion of it is not in front of him. So, you know, with, with with games like that, if you if you project that beyond the next two weeks, and you get into the postseason, and and, and you start to have uh, players missing, um, particularly if there were a ten day uh, incubation period and stuff like that, I, I just don't see that as a as a good product. And uh, they don't want to move games, they don't want to reschedule games. You know, TV is king. They've done that a couple times, but if they're going to do it, they have to be consistent with it. And and I don't I think you know obviously the the intention is not to move them particularly if it's postseason which we're just you know a couple of weeks away from so yes a welcome uh, re- reprieve from the CDC saying that uh, five day quarantine is sufficient. All right, Scott had tweeted the Carolina Panthers announced a bunch of new COVID cases on Monday. How does this affect the Bucks and will they all be testing more because of it? This has come up a couple times. Um, if you recall, the Bucks uh, were in training camp, uh, had a couple of days of workouts with the Tennessee Titans, who spent like four days here, 
uh, in the state of Florida, and a whole bunch of Titans players and coaches, some of whom the Bucks were around, including Ryan Suckup, who did get COVID because he had gone uh, to dinner with a special teams coach from Tennessee who he knew. Um, and so, you know, you wonder, you know, while they're scrimmaging against each other, playing against each other, if it's transmissible. I haven't seen that to be the case necessarily. Like, we know the Bucks have some guys, uh, as we, you know, again, as, as of Tuesday morning, uh, some more have gone into the protocol, um, including their coach, the receivers coach, Kevin Garver, Mike Evans, um, Jalen Darden uh, was in there last week. We'll see if he makes it back by Sunday. And so you could have these little pockets of outbreaks by positions and things like that. But, I, you know, when the Titans incident occurred, there really wasn't any – even though they scrimmaged with them four days, there really wasn't an uptick in, in, in positive cases with the Bucks, And I don't know that there has been between opponents. Um, I don't have great research on that off the top of my head, but I can't remember, oh, this team just played that team, and now both teams are, are you know have a ton of cases. So um, we'll, we'll, wait, we'll wait and see. It's not a good thing. But it's just that, you know, in the case of the Titans, they, they were in a hotel – uh, they went out to dinner. They were moving around. And so, you know, they were probably exposed at that time. This was in August to, to a lot more uh, potential infection um, than the Bucks, who were, you know, pretty much home and work um, during training camp. So, again, I think the more you do, the more people move around, the more they, they could get with parties or as the weather turns cooler up north, you know, go inside stuff like that, um, the, especially with this, this Omicron variant, it's, it's just incredibly contagious. Not as uh, the symptoms not are severe, particularly for people with good immunities or with vaccinations. Um, but it, I, I don't sense yet um, that, you know, the, the increased cases in Carolina is also going to be duplicated here in Tampa. Not yet. All right, John had tweeted us, and this is regarding Shaq Barrett. He goes, this isn't the first time this year a Bucks player re-entered the game when they had a somewhat serious injury. Obviously, if, the guys, if, if you ask the guys, they want to play. But is it something the training staff should review? Absolutely. And, and I have not talked with Bobby Slater. I have not talked with, with some of the guys over there, Alex Guerrero, uh, whoever is, is uh, you know, sort of evaluating these injuries. You would start there, obviously, with the trainer, Bobby Slater. And you have team doctors there as well. It's not it's not limited to just the trainers, but they take them in those blue tents and they evaluate. You know, in the case of of, of both Shaq Barrett and even even Chris Godwin. I mean, Chris Godwin clearly was hit on the knee. At at best, it was hyperextended. Um, they told us the next morning it was or that night or next morning it was an MCL sprain. They taped him back up uh, and had him running on the sidelines before they realized. It wasn't good. In the case of Shaq Barrett, he went back into the game and played um, and then came out and was out for the game. I get the mentality of, of football players playing, playing hurt, but there's a big difference between being hurt and being injured. And, you know, God forbid, and I don't, I'm not saying this is the case, but, you know, if, you know, let's hope Chris Godwin had a torn ACL before he tried to sprint on the sidelines and did more damage to it. Let's hope that Shaq Barrett, who has a sprained ACL and MCL, and a sprained ACL is rare, um, let's hope he didn't do more damage to himself by going back into the football game. I'm a little concerned, or I would be if I were a player, um, 
to find out that they were willing to put me back out there and I was injured. And again, not pointing the finger necessarily, don't know what the risk, you know, risk was to these guys, but it just seems to me that if a player can't finish a game and he's going to miss multiple games afterwards, probably wasn't a good idea. I'm I'm kind of with with the the questioner. I think probably wasn't a good idea to say, "Hey, can you go big guy?" You know what I mean? Like err on the side of caution in that case rather than put a guy back out there. Now, guys play hurt all the time. I mean, it, you know, if you never put a player back on the field once he came out of a game, there wouldn't be any players by the end of the game. Everybody gets gets beaten up, bruised up at some point. Um, but uh, that that one was was a little, you know, I, I looked up and there was Shaq Barron. I had just written that, he, that, you know, he was doubtful for the rest of the game or questionable or whatever. And I look up and there he is. And I'm like, oh, Shaq Barrett is back. And then they announced – as soon as that series was over, maybe even before, they announced uh, in the press box that Chad Barrett is out for the game. It's like, well, what was he doing back on the field? So I have these same questions. I don't think you help a, a, a player's injury by, by making him play that way. Um, but if, if they felt that it was going to do more damage, certainly they wouldn't put him back out there. Uh, but we know in the case of Godwin, who tried to, tried to run on the sidelines, and then Barrett, who came back in, um, they did feel like, that they were able to try it at least. And, you know, that, that's a little concerning to me as well. I, I don't quite understand that, but then I don't, I'm not a trainer. I'm not a doctor. I don't have their degrees. I can't really speak intelligently on, on what the risk of that uh, is once those, those injuries are big diagnosed. And quite frankly, you know, during the game, when they take those guys in there, they can check the stability of the knee. They can do certain things, right. Manipulating it in that blue tent. But without an MRI machine, without being able to, and not an x-ray, because x-rays do bones and things like that, but without actually being able to get a, an imaging like they get the next morning, you can't really detect the damage to the ligaments um, in, in various joints and things like that, unless something has popped out of place or you have a torn patella or something like that. It's very difficult sometimes to know what's going on inside there, and that's why these guys all go for MRIs the next morning because they want a better picture. But in real time, uh, during the three-hour game, you know what equipment do they have available to them at the stadium? It's not what what they're getting on Monday morning. So um, that is to say, they they probably should always err on the side of caution. And in this these cases, I had the same the same concerns that uh, that the questioner did. All right, Ryan tweeted us: If Mike Evans stays on the reserve COVID list, does it mean that the Bucks get an extra fifty-three man spot for the Jets game? If he wasn't going to play anyway, there's a silver lining to this, I guess. Um, I think it might. Yes. Uh, and, and I don't know if it's a silver lining per se, you know, they, there, there's a number of guys that they can bring from the practice squad. Um, you know, they, they have so many guys on IR at this point. Uh, and that's why they did put them on IR because like in the case of Levante David or, um, now, uh, you know, Leonard Fournette and some others, they felt like they weren't going to be back in these final three games anyway. So, Let's go ahead and use their roster spots. So they're they're fairly full now to begin with. Um, you know, you you don't dress fifty three. You know, um, but you know they have enough to choose from. So, like, you know, last week for example, they carried an extra punter. Uh, they elevated him from the practice squad, um, and he wound up you know punting for Bradley Pinion because Pinion, even though active, um, wasn't able to go uh, because of his hip injury. So. You know, you, you, you do have enough wiggle room currently because they have put some guys on IR, so they've activated some players. But, 
yeah, I think in I think in the reserve COVID list, if you're on there, um, you can pull a player to replace him for that week. So I don't know if it's a blessing in disguise because, quite frankly, most of the guys that can play are already here. Um, they'll get Perriman back, who comes off that list, so it's sort of a one for one deal. So I think they'll be okay so long as Perriman comes back. They don't lose anybody else. I, I wasn't sure Mike was going to play anyway with the hamstring injury. Now, next week, if he's still out, and that's a problem for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is he needs 101 yards uh, to get his eighth straight 1,000-yard season. He wants to keep that streak going. So I know that will be important to him. But they have not put him on IR, but they do have other players that uh, you know that will take his place. Michael tweeted us, will the Bucks still have playoff Lenny back for the first playoff game? Great question. I don't think they know. Um, that's one that, that could be a situation where you know, he, he comes back in the second playoff game. If you remember a year ago, um, you know, they got into a situation in, in the postseason where I think Antonio Brown got hurt and didn't play against Green Bay in the championship game and came back. Um, so you'll see these guys, you know, miss a playoff game. Uh, it was COVID that took out Devin White, I believe, because the game was on Saturday instead of Sunday. He could have played on a Sunday he missed two games, including the game at Washington, but they won the game and he was able to come back. So um, I, we'll just we'll just have to see how that falls. But uh, I think that's the plan. You know, they're hopeful that that his hamstring will be good um, and that he'll uh, be able to to play in that. Now, you know, is, is he a hundred percent? Is he going to carry the kind of workload he did during the regular season? I think. That's the reason for these final two games, three games, is to give guys like Keyshawn Vaughn, um, you know, maybe even Le'Veon Bell, uh, certainly Ronald Jones, and let those guys, uh, you know, carry the mail. And when we saw a big play by Vaughn, um, Ronald Jones ran hard, had a touchdown, twenty carries. Like get them going so that you don't have to put as much of a workload on Leonard Fournette when he comes back. And it could just be that. You know, last year's playoff Lenny is this year's Ronald Jones. Um, you know, that, that could happen too. That's why you have multiple running backs that can step up. I thought Vaughn played really, really good um, when you go back and watch not just that 55-yard run but some of the other runs that he made. Um, he looked good. He looked like the game slowed down for him. So they'll have, they'll have enough running backs. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Fournette was such a big part of this offense, almost 100 yards, uh, you know, from the scrimmage almost every game that – uh, you know the the idea is to give him as much time as possible and and it could be that he misses one playoff game i've heard that that might be the case um but they do expect them back at some point in the postseason all right devon had tweeted us can you please explain why the cowboys are currently a higher seed over the bucks and rams when they are each 11 and 4 and the bucks won the head-to-head well, the head-to-head doesn't come into play if there's a, a, a three-way tie or more, and it, it goes to conference record. And right now, the Dallas Cowboys have a better the second. You know, the, the first tiebreaker is head-to-head if it's a two-team race, um, but if it's more than two teams, it goes to NFC or the conference record, and the Cowboys have a better one than the Bucks do. So that's the reason um, why that is the the way it is. Now, um, the Bucks could move up. Um, certainly if the Cowboys were to lose a game, and I think they've got to play the Arizona Cardinals um, coming up here. Uh, they could also move up uh, if the Rams lose. The problem with the Cardinals losing as much as they have of late is that the Rams now look like they're going to win the NFC West. If they do that and if there becomes a two-team tie for one of those NFC seeds, then the Rams would get it because of head-to-head. 
Um, but I think if the Rams lose a game, uh, regardless of whether they win the division or not, the Bucks have a chance to move up if they went out and win the final two games. There's a whole bunch of different scenarios. I think there's a, a, a pretty good chance that Tampa Bay finishes higher than a three seed. They, they probably won't get the number one seed because I don't see Green Bay losing both games, um, particularly the last game to Detroit, or it's, even though it's at Detroit. So I think Green Bay is, is fairly entrenched as the number one seed, but the Bucks could improve. And that's part of the dilemma that Bruce Arians faces is that, you know, does he go all in to try to win these next two games? Or uh, because it's the Jets and then Carolina at home, at some point does he start to say, look, I, I'm not going to risk all my guys because we know we got the postseason. And his answer is somewhere in between because first you got to make sure that you can't improve your your playoff position. I mean, we go in the last game and, and, and Carolina, uh, a win over them and maybe a, a coupled with a loss by somebody improves your seating, even one spot, then the bucks are going to play everybody they can until they think they have the game locked up. Um, there's also the rust versus wet, uh, you know, rust versus rest scenario where, you know, I've seen guys held out and they sort of lose momentum. Um, I think the way you play it is that if, if if you do get to that last game and nothing can be gained, if it's completely uh, you're locked in to number three or number four and it doesn't matter who wins or loses that day, I think in that case, you know, maybe, you know, you, you play it like a preseason game. Guy goes out there for a little bit, gets a little rhythm, comes out as fast as he can, whether that's Tom Brady, you play Blaine Gabbert, anybody, and I mean anybody who is nicked up, a little bit hurt, um, you know, could do further damage by playing is held out of that game from for health reasons primarily, and and you just go out there and do the best you can, knowing that it doesn't matter if you win or lose because you can't really can't really improve anything. So, um, my guess is though that that final game is going to mean something. That that it just feels like there's enough teams and enough scenarios, uh, and could be you know every week there's an upset or two. Uh, that that the 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 last week of the season I think is going to matter. The good news is the Bucks play at one o'clock. Um, you know they won't know what's going to happen to all the four o'clock games, but they can sit back and watch. And and um, you know I I don't think they're going to hold players out. I mean, I really sense that Bruce Arians is against that just just in general. But you know the way they've been the way they've been playing and dropping like flies. I mean, you, how would you feel if you got into the fourth quarter and Tom Brady got hurt in a game that you had? at hand so they'll get them out as fast as they can but they're going to try to win both games that that's the plan right now all right michael had tweeted us and this is regarding uh chris godwin's injury a while back should the nfl change the strike zone for tacklers from below the head to above the knee well you could do that i mean it could be a strike zone similar to what you see in baseball right from the letters down to the top of the knees um or the thighs i guess you would say but it you know i, I will say this about how fast the game is and, and the difficulty some of these players, particularly defensive backs, have. There's there's very little opportunity if you're, you know, a, a 5'10", 195-pound defensive back and Rob Gronkowski is coming around the edge at you. If you go up high against him, you know, Gronkowski is, you know, going to run over you like a truck. Um, so, you know... Hitting him at the knees isn't preferred. Clearly, it'd be better if you could, you know, ankle tackle him, foot tackle him, whatever. But but if you're going to tell me that the guy has to hit him, you know, from the shoulders down to the to the thighs, 
that's that's a that's a tough that's a tough thing to ask defenses. Although, you know, you can't you can't block a lineman below the waist uh, or, or at the knees. You can't hit a quarterback at the knees. And this has always been sort of Brady's complaint: is that you know how come receivers are still able to be struck there that are defenseless? And so, I think that might also be another interpretive rule that if they do change it, it's going to be to protect the defenseless receiver that's being thrown into harm's way. Uh, and here comes the safety or the defensive back running the opposite direction. Um, and, you know, the combination of those physics just don't work out for the guy that gets hit. So maybe they'll they'll say, well, if he's defenseless, you can't you can't go low. You have to be above the knees and, and below the head. But, man, the game is so fast. I, I and I know I know the players say this. They would much rather be hit in the head. They're 25, 26 years old. They'll worry about their their faculties when they're in their 60s. But I'm here to tell you those head injuries um, are bad, and they're trying to take it out of the game. It's just that for a guy like Chris Godwin who makes his living with his legs and was a franchise player and was looking at potentially a a long-term $100 million contract or $80 million contract, this is devastating. You know, he he has no leverage now on anyone, including the Bucs, and, you know, it, it might be as, as late as late September, October before he's even able to play football again. Um, and so, you know, for a guy like that, man, it's just tell him that he would rather get hit in the knee again. You know, it, it just it doesn't work. But uh, I don't know what they can do to change it because I, I just think it's there are some matchups that are so hard that, you're, you know, you're going to get defensive backs that are just going to be, you know, defenseless against bringing down some some of these bigger players um if they if they can't hit them um you know below the waist or something like that so i i don't have a great answer i i think i think if you just limit it to you know if you rule a guy defenseless receiver and you take his knees out if that's a flag i i I would probably back that but that puts again more onus on the officials in a game that they're having trouble keeping up with now the officiating's not great they're not even full-time there's a lot of problems with that whole side of, of the equation, um, why why the NFL, which is a multi-billion, you know, billions and billions of dollars, can't pay guys to work full-time as officials, I have no clue. makes no sense to me. Um, I wouldn't care who they're going to lose because some guy's a good official, but he's a lawyer back in Sacramento. I don't care. Get get your full-time officials in here um, and and help them call games. But right now, it's too fast for them. And, and, and the more you add in terms of strike zones and things like that, man, it's going to create more reviews and, and all of that. Um, the headshots and stuff, I think they've got pretty well down. Those rules are good. But, you know, implementing that in the knees might be difficult. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, Narendra tweeted us. Rick, who was the most memorable coach you've ever covered, and why was his name Greg Schiano? <laughs> so we're answering our own question here, huh? Memorable. 
Memories like the corners of my mind. Misty watered colored memories. Um, You know, they're all memorable, to be honest with you. Uh, because I was at a different part of my life, you know, and each each time I, I uh, encountered these gentlemen, and there's been a bunch, uh, to say the least. I mean, starting with Ray Perkins, who was, you know, intimidating is, is what I would say about him. Um, you know, succeeded Bear Bryant at Alabama, uh, could stare at you, could stare holes in you, you know, brutally uh, unfair sometimes to players uh, that, that he would uh, cut and, and punish physically before cutting them. I've talked about those stories before, you know, and I mean, listen, I think, I think you'd be hard, you know, Sam White's was a character. I think you'd be hard to top Tony Dungy just in, in, in that time period, which was sort of a Camelot time period the actual turning around of a franchise um, that had lost, you know, 10 games or more for so many consecutive years, couldn't win on the West coast, couldn't win in the cold, couldn't win anywhere. Um, and, you know, to see him go to the playoffs four out of six years, get them to an NFC championship game on the brink of a Super Bowl that Tom, John Gruden came in, um, you know, and actually completed. Gruden, we know, is one of the, the biggest characters of the game, you know, despite his horrible fall from grace, um, you know, with the with the text messages and whatnot, whatever's going on now after he was uh, let go by the Raiders. Uh, and, and, yeah, Greg Schiano was different, man. <laughs> he was... He was different, you know, toes on the line, blowing the whistle. Um, but at the time, that's what the Bucks felt they needed after Raheem Morris, who was another character. And I think a really good coach, and I think Raheem Morris will be a head coach again in this league, maybe as early as this next year. Um, but he was 32 years old, and he was completely unprepared for the role uh, and did the best he could. He even had a 10-6 and six season with, uh, I challenge you to go back and look at the talent on that team and tell me how they won 10 games, which is, very rare in this organization's history, as you know, as we sit here with back-to-back 11-win seasons. It's never happened before. So uh, they've all been unique. Um, you know, you'd be hard to top Dungy just, just in, again, in terms of what he represented, uh, the time that he coached. But biggest character was probably John Gruden. Uh, you know, biggest, you know, most – sort of every day the building was on fire was probably when Greg Schiano was there. It wasn't all of his doing. And again, the most intimidating was definitely, definitely Ray Perkins in some ways. So they've all had their flavor, but um, I can't say there's just one. If you pin me to one, it would probably be Tony Dungy again. Uh, more about turning around the franchise, you know, Brooks and Lynch and, and, and Sapp were all drafted by Sam Weich, but it was Dungy that put them in the positions that they needed to be in to, to have that historic run of defense and, and, you know, three of those guys now are in the pro football hall of fame. So, you know, to me it was the Dungy Dungy era that, um, that I think about when I, when I think about the coaches that I've covered, uh, that that was probably the most enjoyable as well. Didn't you cover Steve Spurrier at Florida as well? You know, I didn't, I only covered him for a couple. Yeah. It was funny because, um, you know, I had been there two years and it was a, absolute wherever i go tragedy happens i don't know why um but we wrote a whole bunch of stories they they both of the basketball and the football program got on probation galen hall was fired five games into one season and i think they were five and oh at the time they appointed gary darnell that was my last year there um norm sloan you know had all the trouble with vernon maxwell and paying agents and whatnot and he had his basketball media day and was pointing us all out and yelling at us and then a couple days later he was fired 
Um, they're going to put him in front of a grand jury and accuse him of perjury uh, if the University of Florida didn't do something. So uh, Spurrier came in. I remember I got we were there at the Freedom Bowl, and they had the interim coach, and, and the Gators were actually in the process of hiring Spurrier from Duke that weekend. And he did come in, and I was still covering the beat like in February or March, and they had a quarterback named Donald Douglas who played at the end of, of uh, the final season that I covered them. And he was not a great quarterback. I remember against Auburn, Emmett Smith ran the ball like you know thirty times. They attempted five passes and damn near beat Auburn uh, at Auburn one game. But Douglas was you know Spurrier didn't like him as a quarterback and was going to move him to uh, to safety or, or or some other position. And so Douglas decided to transfer. And I found out about it. And and since he was their starting quarterback, he was going to the University of Houston because he was from Houston. So I wrote a story about it, and I called Spurrier, or actually Spurrier called me, uh, and kind of got on my case a little bit. And it's my only interaction I had with him at the time. He was like, ah, Steve Spurrier appeared just to want to let you know some good things going on here at the University of Florida. Seems like you wrote a negative story. Negative story is just, uh, you know, got a lot of good things going on up here. And I was like, well, you know, the guy... The guy transferred. He said, "What was wrong with the story?" He said, "You wouldn't. You didn't want to play quarterback." Well, I, you know, just, we're gonna try to play him somewhere else. But you know, he transferred. And that that's his decision. I just want to let you know, it's not good things going on up here. So that was my one and only interaction. And then, of course, uh, he took over, won national championship, and and everything was was great. But I hear because a good friend of mine is Chris Harry has an unbelievable relationship with Spurrier. I hear that if you get inside that circle. Um, he was a lot of fun, and uh, certainly he brought a lot of the fun and gun to the universe. Those, those were the great days at Florida that I missed. I had the dark days, <laughs> which seemed to follow me wherever I go. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't get to uh, enjoy the Spurrier years. I think you left off one coach that you covered twice, sort of. Who's Bill, that? Bill Parcells. Yeah, well, Bill almost made it to the Alta. He he left us at the Alta. I don't know if people remember the great late Hugh Culverhouse, but man, that was a memorable day too. When you know, back in uh, after the '90 season when Ray was fired, Richard Williamson was the interim coach for a couple days and uh, a couple games, and they had been trying to hire Bill Parcells the first time. This was the this was Culverhouse, not the Glazers, who then did it again, uh, and um, you know. <laughs> Culver House, we went over, We it had been a long search, and, and it looked like it was going to happen. And the late, great Will McDonough, who was, you know, worked for NBC, I think, and was on with Bob Costas, they called us over for a press conference, and it was supposed to be to introduce Parcells. And so we're like, finally, this search is over. It's going to be Parcells. And I walk into the building, and Will McDonough is on the TV, and he's talking to Bob Costas. He says, Bob... I just found out that Bill Parcells is not coming to Tampa Bay. He's going to stay, you know, with uh, whatever network he was working for. And and I was like, oh, my God, what are we walking into? And it was like you went to somebody's funeral. And so Culver House got up there, and he was crestfallen because he literally had, he had called the press conference. And Parcells got cold feet, pulled out, and he stood up there, and he goes, well, I'm here for the for the wedding. But for the record, there's no honeymoon. And he started waving like a bunch of like, I got 32 points that I signed off on. Anything from, from you know, coaches' cars and contracts to everything he wanted. And, and he, you know, he, he was just, he goes, I'm left at the altar. 
So he, so the Runaway Bride was Bill Parcells that time. And then, unbelievably, unbelievably, they fired Tony Dungy for two weeks. They had been talking to Bill Parcells, had a contract. I wrote this story, broke this story before Tony Dungy ever coached his last game. Um, they're up in Philadelphia. Story comes out on Saturday. The game's on Sunday, I believe. They lose the game badly. Tony's fired. Uh, and there's so much pushback to Bill Parcells, and he was going through a divorce, uh, which might have factored into uh, whatever earnings he was going to make. But he had his entire coaching staff. They were keeping the defensive staff, Monty Kiffin, all those guys, wrote the whole story, knew his staff, knew everybody, and he, he, he left them at the altar again. And, you know, the, the Bucks denied it at the time. No, we didn't have a deal, blah, 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 blah. Restarted the search. Um, ended up, that's when they ended up, um, I think the second time they ended up with Tony Dungy, uh, as a matter of, no, John Gruden, John Gruden. Is that right? What am I I thinking of? Yeah, it was John Gruden that they ended up with because they were going to get Parcells after Dungy was fired. They ended up with John Gruden, uh, that they made the trade for him, but that was like a month later and Parcells then the next off season, uh, came out of the ESPN and signed with the Dallas Cowboys as a coach. The Bucks and the Glazer family produced a signed contract, gave it to the NFL, and said, we deserve a draft pick comp- for compensation. <laughs> the NFL told him to get out of here. Um, you didn't really sign that coach, even though they had his contract. So after denying that they didn't have a deal with Bill Parcells, a year later when he went to Dallas, the Glazers popped out a contract and said, yeah, we did. Here it is right here. Crazy stories. All right, Narendra had a follow-up question and asked, what's the favorite present that you or I received this year? Wow. Do you do presents, Steve? Like my wife and I kind of buy, you know, our own stuff throughout, throughout the, I did give my wife some things that she wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite present. Well, uh, I had gotten a pair of shoes that I wanted. Uh, and it, I, I it turned out they didn't feel good on my feet after I wore them for a while. So that, that was out the window. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, we, my wife and I pretty much, it's like, we'll buy something and say, here, give this to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's you. Know, I I get a list, and so I you know I'm, I'm at the yeah. mall on Christmas Eve, you know, running around getting stuff. I didn't really. I mean, at this age, you know, it, it's more about it's all about the kids, and mm-hmm. and and uh, I just wish I'd have spent more time with them on Christmas Day. I had to travel to Charlotte, but no, I didn't. I can't say I got something that was just my you know just you know knockout favorite. Typical dad, you know, new razor stuff like that. But yeah, there's there's really nothing this year. Yeah. How about you? At my son's school, they have a. Uh holiday shop that you give yes, them, you give them some money yes. and they, they go buy gifts and you have a budget and everything so yeah both of my sons got me the same mvp dad like there you go desk plate that you put up so it was funny they oh, both got nice. they both picked the same ones without knowing without knowing the other one picked it yeah yeah, yeah. so as we open at christmas you know each one christmas morning yeah got that so those are great mm-hmm. those are great my, my uh, youngest does that still and i think this year she goes dad i didn't know what to get you she got me a pair of sunglasses I said, well, that's good. You can always use those. Absolutely. Cool. We're in Florida. But I've gotten, I've gotten the dead best dads and the, you know, the trophies and things like that, which is always cool. But, yeah, those are the best is when, when your kids pick something out for you from the school store or stuff like that or make something for you. Mm-hmm. Ornaments. Uh, my daughter made an ornament with her uh, picture on it this year uh, in school, which was prob- that's probably the best gift we got. So, yeah. Um, I remember the first time my been- son, did, my young, or oldest son did the holiday store at school. We didn't really know what it was. So mm-hmm. we gave him like, you know, 15 bucks or something and he bought five yeah. gifts or something. Right. And when he came back and as he's showing us the gifts for everybody, it mm-hmm. was the amount of thought he had put into each one. 
Right. Like, you know, right. they're kindergartners. And he's like, well, I, I got this for grandma because her favorite color is purple and this. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. So now it we really, give them a lot yeah. more money and let them, you know, have more fun with it because you see just yeah. how thoughtful they can be with that. You know, they, they, they there, are was, there was reason for everything they did. Yes, yes, because their options are, I mean, it's not, look, look, it's not the mall, right? I mean, it's a limited amount of, of items they can mm-hmm. buy. And so they, they really want to be selective and, and they, they try to, you know, like you said, they try to put thought into it, which is really cool um, that they do that. But, uh, you know, and then they get, sometimes they get like, well, I just didn't, you know, I just didn't know what to get you or, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm all, it's, it's, it's anything homemade, any, any ornaments, things like that for me. Cause we got pictures that are there, you know, ornaments that are hanging on the tree from different years and you can watch them literally grow on your tree. It's just, it's just really cool. So yeah, with kids, it's usually stuff like that. But anyway, great questions today. Um, we'll be back out at one buck place to see if they have any players left to play at New York against the jets this Saturday, Sunday. It's, it's, uh, you know, the, the COVID list continues to grow. Hopefully, not much more, and uh, I don't know if anybody else is injured or not, but uh, uh, we'll keep you up to date on that. Check it out on TampaBay.com. And, of course, we'll uh, recap uh, the Lightning's effort against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, limited as it is with their players with COVID as the NHL tries to restart its season. So that's going to be something to uh, to watch as well. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for your questions. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 